does it mean to regenerate? The re-emergence of the concept of regeneration in our culture is a hot topic. From producers to products, legislation to certifications, celebrities to students, there's no shortage of passionate perspectives. Welcome to Regen Circle. I'm Paige Fay, and on this show, we're here to explore the re-emergence of regenerative concepts and practices and their impact on ecosystems and culture. If you like what you hear, take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the show. Welcome to The Circle. Well, hello, this is Paige Fay from Regen Circle, and I'm here with Robbie Sansom, who is the co-founder and CEO of Force of Nature Foods. And Force of Nature works with farmers and ranchers, primarily ranchers, to source regenerative cattle, so grass-fed beef and chicken and bison as well, so not just cattle, but all forms of livestock. And we're here today at the What Shall We Do conference, talking about all things regenerative farming, restorative land work, and I'm excited to speak with Robbie today. So thank you, Robbie, for, for speaking with me. Thanks for having me. So my first question that I ask any guest is, what is your definition of regenerative? How would you define it? Yeah, it's a really good question, and it's it's there's I think there's really no no simple answer, and you know it's interesting what you might be inspired by in, in, in the moment when you're asked. I know yesterday you mentioned the conference. There was a panelist that you know pointed to the industrial system and the and the challenges of it as as being a system that ignores the unintended consequences that it creates, right? And, and the the challenge that and, and and why we are focused on regenerative agriculture is because there are so many unintended consequences, whether it be to our health whether it be to the land bases um, that produce and, and, and nourish us uh, through the food that it creates, whether it be to social issues and communities all across the, the planet, to our oceans, to pollinators, and on and on and on and on. And, and ultimately what regenerative agriculture is, is it's, it's shifting the script around to focusing on food production systems that don't ignore the, the unintended consequences, but celebrate the consequences and produce food and the image of these natural systems that gave us this fertility, that gave us this nourishment, that gave us this balance and harmony in life and seeing how much of that wisdom we can deploy as we farm row crops, as we raise livestock animals, and as we do both of those things in a way that helps reverse and mitigate many of the challenges that you know I just laid out, but what most folks don't realize is many of those challenges come from the food production system. So we want to address them um, through these changes, through these practices that, that are regenerative. Yeah. And in a world where we're so disconnected from our food system, right? Like we're, we are so entrenched in fast food and we have such complex food supply chains. How would you talk about regenerative products or regenerative agriculture or natural systems to a layman, someone that maybe doesn't have a lot of experience with natural systems, doesn't spend a ton of time in nature, how would you talk about the regenerative movement to them? Yeah, you know, I think it, it, it's, it's difficult sometimes to, in, to, in, uh, to engage with people in a way when you get, it's easy to talk over people's heads, right? And to lose them when you get into these really complex, not just complicated, but complex because of all the relationships. And um, I, I think the, 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 the truth is there's, there's two juxtaposing re realities here. One is the reality of the food system that they're currently a part of and they're currently su supporting through their purchasing behavior and the signals that they send saying, I'm okay with this. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and the truth behind that. And the truth is that is a system that is degrading land, that is robbing communities of hope 
that is poisoning our body, that is poisoning the environment, that is cruel in so many ways to so many stakeholders. And, and, and I don't think the average person even understands that. And so I think when you create awareness that the system that they're involved in isn't the system that they understand it to be. It's the, the beautiful images you see on packages, the beautiful stories you see told, the taglines of these large mega businesses um, don't really tell the truth behind that food. And what's regenerative in these systems, it truly is the manifestation of what the consumer wants, right? The farmer with the different species on their land, growing animals in conjunction with, with plants, and, and again, leveraging that, that wisdom from nature that we've known through the millennia to be keystone in our own health and vitality and, and communities. Um, you know, I think it's difficult maybe to educate on all that nuance, but if you can help create a connection, what you're already looking for, what you already desire, what you already even hope for and dream of exists, and it's in these sorts of systems um, as the counter to the system that has led us to this point where we have these global crises. We have, you know, um, fertility rates declining. We have so many other things that we constantly talk about and we don't recognize, again, that they point back to the system that is failing us every day um, as we wear blinders unaware of the abuse that is that we are incurring. Right. And so what do you think about, you know, food scarcity and food insecurity, especially within our country? And so, you know, food accessibility is really challenging in many parts of the country. And so I was really inspired um, by your and Taylor Collins, the founder of your other co-founder of Force of Nature, your discussion around comparing whole foods and the cost of a whole food meal to the cost of a fast food um, meal and how that, you know, ounce for ounce, it was actually much more efficient, not only nutritionally, but financially to source, you know, regenerative meat and vegetables. However, many parts of the country are still don't even have access to, to those to those products. And so I'm just curious from a macro view, you know, what's your perspective on that? And what do you think is the role of food companies, the role of government to start to make a shift in that to make those foods more accessible? Yeah. You know, I, I think, thank you for, for referencing that podcast, because I think one of the things we talk about on there is sort of the, the premise that food with a higher sticker price at the grocery store is, is more expensive and how we perceive that. And, and I think that there's a, a layer of conditioning that occurs prior to that that moment of truth at the, at the shelf um, where we begin to associate what's expensive with is what's not, what's not expensive, right? And I think the, one of the key examples that we talk about is our most expensive beef product sounds expensive to the consumer. We're told it's expensive, but when I compare it to Ruffles potato chips, we're yep. 55 cents an ounce and Ruffles are $1.19 an ounce. Yep. You know, and nobody looks at a potato chip as being expensive. And so where, where do these ideas come from? Um, and so I think, I think part of it starts with creating the recognition um, that that reality exists, that food shouldn't be cheap, it should be valuable, mm -hmm. and it should be available as well. And, and I think we have so much money, energy, political resource and regulation going into promoting a system that creates cheapness in the absence of value. And then that permeates into these, these food deserts or even the, uh, what, are they, what are they called, food swamps, mm. um, where you, know, you have densely populated areas, but you can't actually gain access to where there is nutritious food. Mm. Um, and I, I think if from a system level, um, from a political level, from a from a community level, if we began to actually peel back some of that some of that conditioning, 
and open our eyes to some of the realities of food and where it comes from, we could very easily address that access challenge in addition to the awareness of the affordability component. Um, I, I, I don't think this should be food for the elites. I don't think it should be um, you know, restricted to you know, the people with the, the educational opportunities that make them more aware to be proactive in their pursuits. I think that we should take it as an opportunity and make it incumbent upon us to reach out to people, to bring them along in this journey, um, both in the forms of affordability access, uh, but then also awareness and, and, and education. Yeah, beautiful, it's, it's important. I think it's a layered, multifaceted approach. Certainly one brand can't do all the heavy lifting, but you guys do have a strong community and I think um, an opportunity to raise your voice and meet a lot of people. And I do think the government plays a, plays a big role in this. Yeah, the, the farm bill, you know, so many things. Yeah. What do you what is your guys' perspective on the, the upcoming farm bill? And are you are you doing any work or partnering with any organizations? Um, the, 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 I think the two organizations um, that I know of uh, doing doing the, the, the most work and there's so many. And this is one of the things that we face in this industry is it's there's so much potential and, and, and from a global level, but it's disparate. And so creating this unification, how do we unite? Um, I know uh, Regenerate America, associated with Kiss the Ground, they're doing great work on, on policy. I know um, Food Fix, Mark, Mark Hyman's uh, associated with that group, they're working on it. Policy, regulation, this isn't my, my strength. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm trying, what, what we do is mobilize, educate and mobilize consumers to sort of be that, 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 that uniting force to help overcome um, the, 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 the incumbent powers. Um, but, uh, but the farm bill needs to change. Um, it's clearly um, a farm bill that's not promoting health and wellness or nutrition. Um, you know, 18, 1800s, 60% of our nation was farmers. 1900s, 30% of our nation was farmers. Now it's probably 3%. You know, it's not creating hope in communities. We are, we are not going to have families and neighbors producing our food in the, in the future. It will be agribusinesses, whichever place to agriculture. Mm -hmm. um, and so we need a farm bill that is promoting solutions. We need a farm bill that's paying attention again to the unintended consequences of the food system uh, and that is serving the people and, and, and not the profit interests of some of the many corporate in, um, organizations that have captured our food system. The last topic of conversation I wanted to cover with you is just sort of the, um, the stigma of meat and livestock as the, you know, the worst producers of greenhouse gases. And in many cases, at least in industrial um, livestock and agriculture, um, they are the worst producers in many cases of, of um, greenhouse gases. Um, however, you know, the way in which you all are utilizing livestock and the different grazing methods, um, high density grazing and different um, are known to sequester carbon. What are you guys doing to sort of combat the stigma against meat as as the least environmentally friendly choice on the plate, and and what do you just see in that movement, in that conversation with with consumers and community? Yeah, it's 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 a huge topic. I I think put simply, we're trying to create a, a awareness um, to the reality uh, behind some of these some of these talking points, um, and you know I I think and and empower the consumer um, to make to make better choices and better better judgment calls. You know, there's it's funny, um, there was actually a, a, a research report that came out, I think last week, um, a study done um, and published that demonstrated that um, enteric emissions or methane mm -hmm. belching um, in wildlife uh, is, is exactly consistent with um, 
again, the, the greenhouse gas emissions from livestock. Um, and so even if we were to remove livestock from land and rewild that land, it would then be replaced by wildlife, which would have the exact same carbon footprint from, from an enteric emission, from a belching perspective, from a methane perspective mm -hmm. as the livestock. And so, and again, then you can, that's, that's an interesting anecdote, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but you can point back to through, through the ages and look back to when, the, when there was more bison here, when there was more antelope, when there was more deer. Um, again, these, are, these, these cycles of greenhouse gases, as we call them, mm -hmm. are, are natural. There's a carbon cycle and animals have always been a part of it. And they've always been helping to stimulate activity in, um, in, in, in the rhizosphere and then within plants that are you know, sequestering carbon and they're um, emitting carbon in, in, in the form of you know, CH4 or CO2. And, um, and that cycle has existed. There is a balance there. We are all carbon-based life. You know, the majority of our body that's not water is carbon. Carbon isn't our enemy, right? When I hear these people talking about building factories that sequester carbon into bricks, it terrifies me because we have a carbon issue, not in our atmosphere as much as in our soil. We are lacking carbon in our soil that we need to create functionally health, healthy ecosystems, which drive natural processes, which create food, and so on and so forth. And again, bringing it back to the question, animals have always been keystone to those processes, meaning they have a disproportionate and positive impact relative to their numbers on the land. They are a driver, they are a catalyst for the essential things that happen. And so, you know, as, as in the last few years, as this, this conversation has been amplified and the discourse has, you know, never been, um, around meat has never been more commonplace than it is now, and largely around this idea of planet-based being celebrated and planet-based, or sorry, plant-based being celebrated and plant-based getting a free pass. No, there are awful, horrible, scourge on the earth type things that commonly and, and pervasively come from plant-based systems done wrong, the worst examples of those systems. Much like the worst example of animal-based systems, absolutely empirically has terrible consequences, not just on welfare, not just on land, but on human health and in so many other areas. And so we have to be careful we don't villainize, we don't take the worst case of, uh, example of something that deserves to be called what it is and, and assign it to the whole whether that be animal-based systems, whether that be plant-based systems. And I think what we're trying to promote with Force of Nature, and again with this regenerative movement that we're only a small part of, is recognizing that there aren't plant-only systems or animal-only systems and healthy systems. There are so planet-based systems that are healthy, thriving ecosystems which require plants and animals to harmonize and interact in the way that they've done, again, through the ages for millions and billions of years to promote nutrition and fertility and the very things that we all hope to see in the world. And I think, you know, it's it's also about biodiversity of that livestock, right, and those animals, because we sort of replaced the biodiversity of, of thousands and millions of species with cows and one type of cow that, that produce either the most dairy or the most, you know, and I think what you're speaking to is like, you know, you all sell venison, you all sell different things, and, and your practices allow other species to exist on the land, which I think is another really critical component that's often, I think, less talked about within the regenerative agriculture movement. There's talk about water and tilling and plants, but biodiversity often gets, you know, left off the table in some ways. It's funny. Well, bio biodiversity is one of the, the, the five key principles or the six key principles of regenerative agriculture. So right. the, the Where Hope Goes podcast, we have a, we have a, the next episode to get released will be on the principles of soil health and we'll, and we'll talk about that. But I think that's a good example, you know, in, 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 the, in the typical industrial monocrop plant-based system you're tilling and spraying again it's 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 an attack it's warfare on life to promote the singular form and what people don't realize is there's a billion 
sentient life forms in the form of insects per acre of healthy land, a billion per acre. And I always talk about, I always get these big numbers and I can't conceptualize them. So I was talking to, to, to Kate Cavanaugh, we were doing some back of the napkin math. If you were to stack a billion sheets of paper on top of each other, it would be 300,000 feet tall. <laughs> um, and and that's, that's the significant, that's the, that's the profound, incredible reality of the life on the land and that biodiversity. Every single one of those small life forms that we may take for granted has an important role. There's so many complicated and complex layers to all of this that, again, we should be removing our, we, sh we should be discontinuing and discouraging a system that ignores that and um, that challenges it and degrades it. And we should be promoting systems that celebrate it and allow, allow all of, we don't have to understand it. We just have to appreciate it and let it be. Mm. Thank you. Well, I think that's a beautiful note to end on, unless there's anything else that you want to share. Oh, I think I think you. I promised you I'd, I'd help you keep it under 20 minutes or so, and and, and that is not my strength. So, I think we did it. Well, maybe this will be the shortest shortest podcast, video cast, video interview you've ever done, which I'll take that. Yes, my team will be impressed. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, Robbie, thank you so much um, for your time today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for having me again. I really appreciate what you're doing as well. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. If you liked what you heard, take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the show. And if you want to learn more about how to get involved with The Circle, visit us at our website or on social media. We're always looking for like-minded people to connect with.